Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You are listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi folks, this is Dr. Robin. And this is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for all of us to get our hands dirty. Pastor. Dr. Robin. Here we are again. Here we are. Here we are. We need a Groundhog Day song that oh isn't God. that isn't Sunny and Cher. Right. I got you, babe. Isn't yeah. that what he, that's what he listened to on his radio, right? Yeah. 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 We're dating ourselves for all the young kids that we know yes. the things about the Groundhog Us Day. Gen movie. Xers. Exactly. Us Gen Xers. Exactly. But we can we can adapt like millennials, but then we get we get angry and pissed like boomers. Right. Right. Especially when technology is concerned. Yes. 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 It's true. I'm I'm coming from uh, Charleston, South Carolina today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I am I am a little overwhelmed with the amount of rain that we have gotten this week. It has oh, been okay. um, a lot of rain. I haven't had to water my flowers once. Oh, um, yeah. but uh, it is. Everything's very green, but the rain has me down a little. Like just it's oh. like there I like it in doses, but when it rains like five days straight, we got the remnants of Fred, the tropical depression, mm-hmm. and um it's been really rainy. And then um Henri is coming. I they probably pronounce it Henry, but I think it's pronounced Henri. Yeah, it is coming. It'll it'll be interesting to see what path it takes, um, and how it how it moves. Um, so far, no word as to whether it's going to come to us or not. Yeah. So speaking of what's happening in the world, there's lots happening with climate. There is. Tropical storms. Uh, there's been rain here in Charleston. Uh, but there's lots happening in the world um, that we should just mention briefly. It's it's a mess, quite frankly. Yeah. It's a mess. Yes, there is a lot going on in the world, a lot with climate change. These storms are crazy. I I am, I feel like I shouldn't be surprised when I'm overwhelmed by it all. And yet Mm -hmm. this week feels especially heavy. Yeah. Um, We are watching an absolute crisis and disaster unfold before our eyes in Afghanistan. Mm Um, our COVID numbers are back through the roof. 
And yet we are very freely sending all of the children back to school. Right. Um, and clim- the climate crisis is kind of meeting us head on mm-hmm. um, all in this week. And it's, um, yeah, it feels a little frenetic. It feels yeah. like energy in the air that's just really like making me making me kind of recognize and, and, and affirm my humanity. I, well, we um, watched um, a film the other night uh, that we, that Blake actually posted on, on the app, um, Syriana. And I don't know if you've seen that film with George Clooney and Matt Damon. Yes. But it, it, you know, if you've not seen it, um, it's a really great film that shows the interconnectedness of globalized capitalism, of the war machine, of drones, uh, you know, just the, the, the um, religious fundamentalism. Uh, it just shows, shows how imbricated these systems are. And I, you know, I think I've been doing a lot of thinking um, about a lot of things this week. And one of them is many of us think that we are right in what we are doing. We think we've got the right answer. We th- There's an arrogance yes. about things. Yes. And, and I have really been, um, just thinking about how I, I I've never thought that I've had the right answer, but I think in relationship and in conversation, we can arrive at an answer or a path. And, and I think that one of the things that concerns me about everything that is happening um, all the policies and politics and organizing is that there isn't a commitment to collective thought. There is somewhat of a commitment to collective action, but only if people go along with what one leader says is the right thing. And, and I, so anyways, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about that, watching what's going down in Afghanistan and um, listening to – just doing a lot of listening, um, listening to what people are saying. And I, I realize that this country and, and people who maybe would call themselves leaders in whatever movements they're aligned with – there isn't a lot of humility that goes along with action. And I think as someone who spends a lot of time in contemplation, gosh, I just think that humility has to foreground all of our work um, because misstepping is very easy to do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think if we look at it on the big picture, There are so many things that have gone wrong 
in in this this crisis that we're watching unfold in Afghanistan. And I will preface the, my statements for the for the next minute with saying I um, I know very little. Um, I, I know kind of what what my news channels tell me. I know what I've read. Um, I I do my best to to be informed by what I believe are independent kind of non-partisan sources, but everyone has a bend to their right. perspective. What I feel like I can say with certainty is there is no right time to exit a country. There is, there has been no right way to try to um, form and, and facilitate a government in that country that didn't want to be formed and facilitated. Um, there is no right way to arm and empower forces in that country when they may or may not have the same commitment to enforcement that our military did when they were there. And there is no right way to try to get people out of that place now that we have seen what the terrorists are doing and taking over the government. I don't have any of the answers. All I feel like I know is that everybody's got an opinion on it. Right. And it feels it feels as if there is no right way that any of this can or could have been done. And eventually someone was going to have to take the step to make a decision in leadership to, 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 to move into a decision. And, and that decision has gotten us where we are. And now everyone wants to talk about everything that has gone wrong with it versus everything that, that has gone right with it. Um, and I say all that because I think that in echoing your statement around humility and around our need as individuals to be humble and conscientious in the way that we are also in relationship with one another, we can also fall into that same, uh, pursuit of rightness. <laughs> mm, yeah. and, 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 and I think that, I mean, I think that there are any number of times, even on this podcast, where our listeners could have said, well, Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna sure feel like they, they sure sound like they think they have it figured out. Yeah. Like, I disagree with them, but they, they're pretty certain of what it is they, they know and they say. Even our ethics are born of um, a, a personal perspective uh -huh. that we bring to the conversation. And so, you know, you and I may, may be very diligent in our pursuit to name and, and call out supremacy culture, to, you know, engage in conversation around community and, and the need for it in, in a way that we believe will liberate the world. And yet that even those positions can come with a sense of arrogance on our part, mm -hmm. that that's what we believe is the only and right way through. Right. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's a difficult thing to navigate because 
we we believe in our ethics and we believe in the things that we feel are right and true for what we envision the world to be. Um, and yet there is actually no way for us to determine our ultimate rightness mm-hmm. in those conversations. How, like, how does that land with you? Do, do you? do you resonate with that at all? Or am I like waxing poetic over something that I am just like feeling in these moments? I mean, the answer is yes and no, right? Like, like, yes, yes, what you're saying feels right to me. And also, or I should say yes and, not yes and no, because yeah. that's a binary. But yes and. Um, the and part is, you know, one of the things that that I think is true for me is I don't know that my ethics are a personal perspective. Mm. I think my ethics come from more of understanding myself as a member of community Mm -hmm. Um, and what I decide to do, where I buy my groceries, who I decide to support actually has a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a butterfly effect to it. Um, And also my, the risks that I take with my ethics do feel personal to me. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of a yes. And for me, um, yeah. and, and, you know, I don't know that the things that I do or we do are necessarily right. I, I don't even know if I'm trying to be right. Yeah. Fair. Um, I'm trying to move in a direction and, and move us in a direction where, where we understand life outside of what is so supremacist, so acutely supremacist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I am with you on that. I think for me, I'm when I name my personal ethic, I name it as something that has been formed by outside influences, whether it is the, the writers and ethicists before me that I have um, ascribed to, um, agreeing with, whether it is the um, scholars of of color and, you know, the liberationist theologians who have influenced the, the perspective that I bring to the table. It's still, even, even as I am kind of building my own uh, ethic around uh, what I believe and who I am, it, I am... I'm pulling at strings of pieces and parts of the work that feels specifically, you know, right to me in, in my pursuit for what I believe, you know, will be a better world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really curious thing to navigate these times because there, I mean, I I laughed because I, there are these um, memes that are going around um, in, in a couple of varieties, but the premise really is, um, you know, now that I know everything there is to know about, you know, being a fill in the blank, a man, a teacher, um, a police officer, um, I'm going to now um, 
share with you all of the things I also know now that I'm a I'm an infectious disease expert. Right. <laughs> and so, right. you know, th- there's there is this assumption of rightness in yeah. in what we what we do and and we have seen that on full display for the last 18 months since COVID has, you know, landed um, here in the United States and we've also seen that in in every political piece of of work that we're, you know, that we're watching unfold, whether it's domestic or, or foreign. Well, and even coming down to the vaccine, you know, I, I read something today that I don't know what the percentage is, but it's something less than 1% of people who receive the Moderna vaccine can have mitocardi. Car- something something cardiovascular related um and you know there's a lot of questions about what are the long-term effects of the vaccine and hell i was just like give me all the shots i even went and got my mmr because i was no longer immune to the measles and i was like i don't want the measles either you know but <laughs> but you know i mean i i did that i got the vaccine so that i wouldn't get other people sick Now what we know is that actually we can carry it. So now I wear a mask and and I'm vaccinated. But, you know, this, I mean, I guess it, it, what bubbles up for me is that it's actually really hard. It's hard to be in relationship with all of these things that are happening. Yes. Um. And you and I have even traversed the terrain of difficult relating and, August is August is kind of an anniversary month it is. for us. It is. And you texted on Monday. We're recording this on Friday. You texted on Monday um, just giving some milestones in August. And you and I have really encountered the ups and downs of – what even what even does it mean to be in relationship and how do we chart this work right. um the the sort of maybe i hate to i hate to create a hierarchy here but kind of the 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 piece that set it in motion was being in charlottesville together right and encountering that day um Four years ago, yeah. and and me actually saying to you, you should not do this. Yeah, and you saying back to me, no, I'm going to do this. Yeah, I mean, it it was interesting because I mean, you know, people that have been listening to this podcast for the last year and a half will, you know, often comment to me, you know, how you know lovely our relationship is, and how you know lucky we are to to have one another, and how. Um, oh, they don't even you know. know. They're well, about to find out. Well, they are they, about to find well, out. But they'll also say things like, um, "You all, you all are on the. You, you really are on the same page." <laughs> and I, <laughs> I'm like, "Do you remind them that we're in different books?" <laughs> right. I was like, "Not only are we not on the same page, and not only are we in a different book, but I might be reading an online newspaper, and Robin is deep in the library, like blowing <laughs> dust off of antique copies of right. of of, uh, right. of text." I mean, yeah, you know, I I think back on so four years ago we um, experienced Charlottesville 
together, separately, but together. And um, it really was, you know, we had been in what I would call um, uh, kind of arm's length relationship up to that point. We were friends. We were colleagues. um, we I would say had, we were friendly. We were friendly. Friend, friendly. That's a better way to say. It. Yeah, we, we were friendly. We, we weren't. We weren't yet in friendship. Yes. Yes. Um, and and yet, you know, we knew that we were going. We knew in the in those moments that we were experiencing this thing at the same time. And and you were very um, protective of me, um, even though your life was the life that was more susceptible to harm right in those moments than mine was simply because of who we are in our bodies Mm -hmm. and i um i i remember you know that weekend really as being the catalyst for where we find ourselves today i mean it's the thing it's the it's the that that pivot point for me where i recognized um, that there was there was the possibility for a kinship that has evolved in the way that that you and I have seen it evolve. Yeah. Um, and it uh, it I mean it's changed the last four years have changed my life um, yeah. because of that. Yeah. Uh, and so. And we've not always agreed on things. <laughs> we, no. Most times we don't agree on things. And <laughs> and and we come at things very different, right? I mean, you've spent really your entire life in a corporate framework right. and I've spent my entire life in academia, right. which is, you know, having like a Marxist bent, you know, towards socialism. And so it's a very it's a very interesting combination when you then begin to try to map out work together, mm-hmm. especially in relationship. Now we get a lot of shit done together yes. and, and it's actually really beautiful. And you bring, you bring an acuity to the thinking that I just don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and vice versa. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there is a, there is a perspective um, that, that you have that I, I mean, I just simply will never attain. Yeah. Um, and, and even if I, even if I were to say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, continue in school. I'm going to get my doctorate. I'm going to do all the things. I still, like, I still would never catch up. <laughs> right. So. Right. And, it, and, and it's not about catching up, right? right. It's, it's right. about being in the present and, and getting our hands dirty, as we say, right. um, but so there was Charlottesville that was really pivotal. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I urged you not to do this. Uh, I was told to not be on the line, and so I listened to that. Uh, but then it was precarious where I was, right? Where neo Nazis launched in my direction, and I got picked up by Clinton, whisked away. Right. So, anyways, the point is, there's no no place that is safe in Correct. actions. Correct. But then a year later, in August, we found ourselves in a very different context. A very different context. So yeah, so that year, that year in between allowed us to really explore um, what friendship might look like, what kinship yeah. might look like. And and by the time the next year came along, 
we were friends. We were, um, we had agreed to kind of do this work alongside one another. We had Uh entered into a conversation around activist theology and, and the organization was kind of put in, in motion at that point. And August, the following year, we found ourselves in Asheville, North Carolina, um, at our dear friend Trip Fuller's um, theology beer camp for yep. the weekend at a great brewery in in Asheville, where and in a very strange Airbnb. <laughs> Look, that I wish that like, we could show I, pictures, y'all. I can't even begin to explain. You got to gotta you. tell the people. You got to okay. tell the people. So. Uh, so here we are, um, Robin and I and, a, and another colleague um, in an Airbnb that we had found online that, you know, seemed very lovely. The um, host lived on site and um, kind of lived in an apartment uh, attached to this residence. But it was definitely her residence. I mean, you, you yes. know, it was it was not as if she had decorated it as an Airbnb. She had we were we were coming into her house. And when I say decorated, or when you say decorated, <laughs> what we really mean is it was more like uh, an antique museum. It was um, okay, so I I don't get spooked by much. <laughs> but I have a, an instant kind of cringe, like jump back, skeeved out feeling. Yeah, when I look at antique dolls like dolls that look like they could have been in a horror movie yeah and then add on to those dolls what i believe to be real human hair real human hair i mean y'all there and not only was there one doll and there was like hair in the wall there were there were displays displays of dolls there were these uh imagine if you will um, a a non Fisher Price version of the Dollhouse, um, where you can cut or the Barbie Dream House, where you can kind of you know set your your family up to roam and play in this imaginary house. These dolls were in relationship with each other in settings like this with real human hair. And faces painted on that looked as if they could have come um, from an exorcism gone wrong. Yes. Yes. It was scary as fuck. And every- Remember the hairbrush? Oh my God. There were were tufts of real hair in balls laying around, like on shelves as if they were on display. Yeah. Just displayed with other- random things and remember remember the bedroom i slept in (laughs) yes it it, everything was weird everything was weird now i just want to say that neither you nor i booked that airbnb right so it's actually not our fault that we got freaked out it's not we somebody else booked the airbnb for us um and 
now now when we travel we stay at reputable hotels we do we do or we or we like look at the pictures on the airbnb display and then ask for more pictures exactly exactly <laughs> but 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 really when we did theology beer camp mm-hmm. a year later mm-hmm. it was such a different um experience right. with all the theo bros right yeah who follow us so many men so which is great it was great but it was like a it, yes yes it was a it testosterone was, fest. it was a testosterone fest yes it was and i i mean there was a moment where i kind of was sitting back and you were on stage and kind of in this really be- beautiful conversation and i'm kind of looking around the room and i'm like there are so few vaginas here like yeah none right <laughs> where, where are all the women yeah <laughs> um yeah and yeah it was it was but it was it was a fun experience we had a lot of fun we did a lot of drinking on the front porch of the weird house um there was a lot of bourbon consumed uh we had a really lovely time um but it, it just goes to show like how far a year took us and and to have those memories pop up in the same week like those two yeah. things happened in the same part of the year yeah. and um you know and and we experienced them from very different places in our relationship with one another yeah and and i think the lesson here is that relationships are not easy it if, if you're honest about relationships, they're not easy. Correct. Because I remember being in Asheville asking you like a pointed question about like, who are your people? Like, mm-hmm. who do you tell things to? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And because culturally we, we grew up very different. Right. Um, me around a lot of Mexican Americans in Texas, you mostly by white people, maybe some Correct. black folk, Correct. Um, but mostly white folk that culturally the way we tell our stories, the way we talk about ourselves with other people is very different. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking like it, like intimacy is not something is not, um, it's not the not the next step you take in relationship necessarily. Whereas, whereas for me, you know, I spent my summers in Mexico with family. Like intimacy was the thing you did. You know, right. you you walk down the road holding hands with cousins. Uh, you took naps with each other. Um, right. That's why I take siestas all the time. Um, but you, but there was a togetherness. Right. That was fortified by intimacy. So you can imagine then the conversations that emerged were very personal mm-hmm. and and deeply embodied, right? So right. they're they're and I talk a lot about I think it's important for people to have an embodied awareness, not just talking points. And for me, um, you know, because of the color of my skin, I I hold both of those standpoints that that I experienced talking points growing up because of the way I was treated, but I also experienced this embodied awareness because of the way my mother was treated, right, and and continues to be treated, and and so you know for me, asking you that question, 
like who are your people who do you talk to about things you know that was just like a, a natural question for me and and for you it's like no 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 i i don't do that you know uh, uh, but we have we have found a way mm-hmm. um and now we talk about it on the podcast then airing airing all of our laundry but we yeah. have found a way to be in relationship with one another after a lot of maybe treading water with yeah. one another yeah i mean i think that the, the, the place that I have, uh, that I come from, um, and the relationality that I had, had really experienced up until that point was, um, uh, built on, uh, an expect, uh, a, a question around who has your back? Mm. Like when, when shit goes down, who has your back? And the answer to that question is that the, those are who your people are. Um, but it was less about an intimacy in sharing of secrets or, or, or feelings and more about a, um, an, an expectation of loyalty Uh and, and as a white person who, you know, was raised in the mainline church there's a significant amount of shame that is built into relationality because um, I never wanted to be the person that other people talked about when I was not there from a standpoint of like, can you believe how fucked up Anna's life is? Like, can you believe Uh, how like messed up her world is? Um, and, and it's because of that and because of that kind of the way that whiteness bred itself in, in the way I was raised that, you know, the less you share, the less, um, people are going to gossip about you. Right. The less people are going to, are going to, you know, talk shit about you. Um, and so I, and, and that's not to say, like, I have, I had very, even then, I had very deep friendships and I had people yeah. who I really could go to with anything. Yeah. But my list was not long. My list yeah. was, it was a very finite list and I knew exactly who was on that list. Um, and if you asked a lot of other people, uh, they would say, oh, yeah, like, I know Anna, we're friends. But if you ask them questions about me, like deep questions about me. Um, it would become very obvious that we were not friends, but as you said earlier, we were friendly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that, you know, we, we have, we have traversed a lot of, um, a lot of navigating the waters in, in yeah. this relationship. And, um, you know, I have, I have said, and, and I said this to you much, much more in the beginning part of our relationship than I do now, but I was so highly deferential to you yeah, for so long. I, I was um, conscientious of all of the pieces of you that made you who you are, that were pieces of me that I, or that were pieces that I had no idea or understanding of. Right. And I, I, I did not in any way understand what it meant to be trans. I did not in any way understand what it meant to be um, born of a Mexican mother. I did not in any way understand what it meant to be 
raised and conditioned in academia. Yeah. Um, all of the things that, um, for some people who know of you, um, kind of put you in this class of celebrity culture, which right. you know, we, we hate and we you yeah. know, loathe the, the concept of, but um, it took me a, a while to kind of allow myself to say, okay, like I don't have to be, I don't have to worry about pushing back on Robin or naming my own needs or saying what I really feel instead of what yeah. I think Robin wants me to feel in order for this relationship to have a history yeah, and to have the kind of longevity and beauty that we, that we have, have wanted it to have all along. Um, but that took a long time for me. And I think, I think that there are, there are white people listening to this podcast who will understand and kind of echo their understanding yeah. of that. I also think that there are people who will say, well, that's fucking stupid. Anna. like, you know, own your own dignity and like stand in your own truth and like name what you name and say what you need. And like, who cares if Robin got upset about it? Yeah. But that's just, that's not me. That's not, that's not the, the place that I came from. So. Well, and it, it reminds me of how, you know, we, we often talk about supremacy culture, mm-hmm. um, and and by that we mean something very large, a, a maladaptive system right. into which we are all conscripted. And and one of the hallmarks of supremacy culture is this that that shows up in a culture of whiteness, which is which is perfection. We've got to do relationships right. They've got to be done in a certain way within a certain time, uh, or we're going to be furloughed or something like that. And and there's no right way to do relationship except through processes of transparency, honesty, and vulnerability. Right. And when we practice those three things, there's a real magic that happens, yes. I think. And and you and I, I mean, we we text almost every day. Yes. Unless you're vending at a festival uh, and then I'm like <laughs> letting you know what I'm doing and you're not letting me know what you're doing, but I get it that you're busy. Um, but we, we text almost every day and, and you know, there is, there is a real beauty to the everydayness, the mund- to the mundane. The mundane yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when, when I'm there with you and, and, and we have coffee out on the porch with Ruthie and the next week you text me and, and you say, I'm really missing that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, you know, it goes to show like when you actually invest in people, mm-hmm. not, not invest in the idea of the person, right? but when you invest in the person, like my favorite thing is to drink bourbon or coffee with you. Right. It's not to necessarily record the podcast or speak at a festival with right. you, although that is a hell of a good time. We always have fun. And we always we'll talk ton- about it. We spill a ton of tea. We do. But like when I get down to it, like what brings me joy right. is having you at my dinner table, of having a bourbon, right. of um, having coffee. Uh, and, and those magic moments 
not to be confused with magic mushrooms. That's something completely <laughs> different. But those magic moments, I like alliteration. That's why I did that. It's okay. Those magic moments create conditions for us to do the kind of work that we're doing now. Right. Yes. And it's not been easy. It's right? not been easy. Um, yeah. I mean, I am, I am conditioned in a way in, in many, in many um, instances because of the trauma that I have with my family, my, my, yeah. my birth parents um, to um, expect that a lack of perfection on my part means my disposal. Right. And, right. you know, it took you three or four times of um, saying to me after we had gone through moments of challenge yeah. <laughs> in our Real relationship. Yeah. You yeah. know, we were, we were not seeing eye to eye. We, we weren't, um, we just, we couldn't communicate in ways that, that made sense to one another, but it took three or four times of you saying to me, um, like, these are all the reasons that this doesn't feel good to me, that, that what is happening right now doesn't feel good to me. And I love you and I'm not getting rid of you simply because you've fill in the blank, disappointed me made a Sefu said the wrong thing, like any number of things because there, that doesn't happen um, in, that doesn't happen often in my world. Right. Um, I'm just remembering the Shane Claiborne post. Yes. Yes. I mean, that, that's, that's a real moment where, I mean, you ended up taking the post down because I pushed back on it. Yeah. Funny enough, he called me the other day and, and wants to sit down. You know, so I mean, it this is complex stuff. It is. And if and if and if we can't, I mean, what I often think about is that this work requires an accelerated version of dialectical thinking. You've got to be real sharp to hold multiple truths that are sometimes contradictory. And I don't believe in disposing of people. Right. But that is not that is not something that I have experienced much in right. my life, and right. so you know, for for me, um, it it was um, it was it was always. I mean, it took two or three times of you saying that, two or three kind of situations of us kind of being in these moments of of disagreement or of confusion for me to say, "Oh, okay, like I get it." They they. Um, they, they aren't going to like let go of this kinship simply because of what has happened. Um, and that is a, that is a, a, that's a, a different thing for me. Um, uh, and, and what that has enabled me to do then is to be, to stand even more in my own dignity Mm -hmm. and to be able to say my own truths without feeling as if I'm, um, uh, I like, I shouldn't speak up. I should, I mean, I'm like, I'm a bossy bitch. I'm aggressive. I'm assertive. Like there are very few times that people don't know what I'm feeling unless there's confrontation involved. Uh Um, and in those instances, depending on how I'm feeling in the relationship with that person, I tend to shrink more than I tend to grow. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that has really helped me. And I think that, I think that those that are listening to us and, and kind of beginning to understand the, the nuances of our relationship with one another, I, I think that that's a, that's an understandable thing for a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. It's um, not many white people are conditioned to relationality the way that you are conditioned to relationality. Right. And I don't, and I, and I, I d- intentionally don't lump you and, you know, the, the other aspects of the Mexican culture into that because I don't have a perspective on it. I have a feeling right. that, that the majority of white people are not conditioned in the way that, um, you know, Mexicans are from a familial and, and, and right. relationality. But I know that most white people are not conditioned in the way that you are. Um, mm-hmm. And what that has meant is that you've taught me a lot mm-hmm. and you've pushed me a lot and you've sanded down a lot of my rough edges, mm. but you've also built up in me the ability to um, not be so deferential that I find mm. myself silent. Yeah, I mean, that's a hard thing to do, right? Because, you know, and and maybe this is for a different podcast, but I, I know that... I know that people are like, well, that's just another white woman, you know, talking. And I'm like, yes, and. Like, yes, white people take up a lot of space because they've been conditioned and socialized to do that. And also, how do we compost that relationality and invite a more generative, adaptive relationality, which is what I've tried to do, which, I mean, it comes down to you trusted me and a lot of relationships don't have trust as like the foundation. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Leo. My sun sign is a Leo. And so I am, I am very loyal to my people. You are also very bold in your personality. Well, Um, that's true. And, and, and I am a cancer which means that I'm super mushy and soft on the inside, but I have a really hard yeah. shell and that hard shell is that shell is hard to get into and hard to tap into. Um, it also means I cry a lot yeah. and I have cried a lot over um, in, in the growth of our relationship together. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's just simply who I am. Yeah. You're a Leo and I'm a cancer and like, that's just who we are. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're doing this episode, but we're about to be in person together. We are. We are. I'm really excited. We're going to be heading to the Wild Goose Festival um, in about a week and a half. Uh, Look, folks, um, we can talk about the Wild Goose Festival at some point. um, And none of us will, uh, none of us will shy away from expressing some of the concerns that we have about both the um, tenor and attitude of the festival, as well as the challenge that the festival during this year presents to us because of COVID concerns and, and, and all of the things Um, we have decided that we're going 
Um, mm-hmm. We're going to kind of be there in person. We're going to take all of the precautions that are necessary. Um, it is 100% outdoors, which um, helps a great deal from a, a uh, you know, contracting and containing of the virus standpoint. And I don't think there will be the amount of people there that are usually there Agreed. is my sense. Agree. Um, but yeah, we are, we get to probably do a version of this conversation from the stage. Yeah. We get to record a live version of the activist theology podcast uh, in real life in front of an audience, which you yep. will get to hear the week after we return home or which we really love doing that. We love and it so we much. would love to be doing that more. Yeah. Um, and then we are going to be in person for the first time with most of our irreverent media group colleagues, um, the media group that we just joined and announced a few months ago, we are going to all be together um, at the Wild Goose and are going to be doing another podcast with like all of the all of our people together yeah. on the same stage. Yeah. It's it really it like it gives me so much life just thinking about it. I'm really, really yeah. excited. Yeah, I'm excited too, and I'm excited to be with you. We're going to be talking about how the revolution will not be televised. Correct. Uh, so I'm super excited about that. The revolution is happening right now. It is. And it's happening behind the doors of the homes you live in. It's happening on the streets where our unhoused people live. It is happening in the halls of your local government. Mm-hmm. And then it is extending and happening in every single location all the way out to the edges of our galaxy where we're traveling in spaceships right now. I mean, th- this is not a, um, this is not hyperbolic. Right. Uh, we are in the middle of a revolution and the televised parts are the parts that get the attention, but they aren't the parts that are going to change us and change right. the world from a liberative standpoint. Yes. And that's why we're talking about it. That's why we're talking about it. Well, this has been fun. It has been fun. It's like, it's been a trip down memory lane. It's been a little bit of a therapy session. <laughs> it's been some feel good for you and I, because we get to um, talk about the things that we love about each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, um, it's been fun. It's been, a, it's been a fun, a fun hour. So <laughs> friends, we will see you next week. We will here you will hear us next week. We will be around next week and hopefully you will listen then. We would love for you to tap into um, the podcast that we will be sharing after the Wild Goose Festival. Um, but the biggest thing that we want to share as we exit this episode of the Activist Theology Podcast is that we have a really amazing opportunity for you to get involved with us in a community that really is dedicated to things that activist theology talks about all the time. Um, We have unleashed our activist theology app. You heard that right. We have an app that is for and about activist theology. Um, We are hosting it at atporch.com. Com. So activist theology porch, atporch.com. And all you have to do is visit atporch.com to join us in that conversation. Um, this is a long term project for us. We are just at the very beginning of it, 
but we have opportunities for you to get engage in conversations around deconstruction, conversations around books and articles that you're reading, conversations around this podcast, um, conversations about um, the the ordinary of days, the the ordinary and ordinariness of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and we would love for you to join us. Um, there's no cost to join. Um, you are welcome to just head on over to atporch.com and add your name, sign up to, to tap in with us. You can be a part of any of those conversations that you want, or you can be a fly on the wall for all of them. We are not going to, we are not going to ask anything of you other than that you are a kind and decent human um, and that you put the the feelings and, and respects of others before yourself. Otherwise, you're welcome. And the other thing that we should say is that our curator of embodiment and somatic practice yes. is offering the third installation of a cohort-based class called Unraveling Your Whiteness. It's a 12-week online cohort style learning opportunity with Aaron C. Law, who is a somatic instructor. And you can find more information about that on our website, activisttheology.com, or on the app at atporch.com. That class is going to start up in like mid to late September. And there will be an opportunity to be in dialogue with people from all over the world, people I don't know how people from all over the world found us, but they did everywhere from Europe and Australia. They're joining this class. Love it. Um, You'll have an opportunity to be in dialogue with um, the cohort members. And it's a really powerful online experience learning how supremacy culture shows up in our bodies, which all of us are conscripted into, even myself. And so these 12 weeks with Aaron help you pull at the strings and then ravel and compost the bullshit. I hope you'll check it out. It's a great, great learning opportunity. It is. I'm really excited that they are offering it again. And um, every single person that has given feedback about that course um, recommends it highly and and really encourages other white-bodied folks to participate in it. Friends, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to talk about. We'll continue talking about it as long as you'll continue to listen about it. And until we see you next week, we hope that you will figure out how you're going to get your hands dirty in the work. It may be by joining our community. It may be by tapping into one of these courses. Um, It may also be in the small stuff, in the mundane, in the um, having coffee with your friends on the porch or drinking a bourbon at night and figuring out how you're going to tackle an issue that's happening in your own community. Um, All of that enables you to get your hands dirty and we support wholeheartedly every single stinking inch of it. Yes. Dr. Robin, we'll see you next week. Let's get free y'all. We want to thank you for listening this week. We encourage you to share this podcast with your community. If you enjoy us and our work in the world, please give us five stars on your podcast platform. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.com and click on podcast. We can only do this work with the help of you, our listeners. 
You have no idea how much even a small monthly or one-time gift means to this work. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray. Our sound editor is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. I get my hands dirty. I show up so early. They show me no mercy. So I just keep working. Maybe God could save me. Or my boss might pay me. You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends.